You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Welcome to Leadership Talk. We're your hosts, (laughs) Gravity Leadership. Hey! (laughs) I just listened to a podcast about uh, kind of where where that all started. Oh, really? Like the soft, dulcet, yeah, yeah. calming tones? Yeah. Where yeah. did it start? Uh, Black Radio. It's just really great. It's, seriously, it was this really great podcast about like the, the, the first like major black radio station. So are you saying NPR has appropriated black radio culture? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never. I would never imply. I would well, never imply. Anyway, uh, far be it but, from us then to do that as well. Yes, yeah. So we should talk really fast and high voices. Yeah. <laughs> which is really easy for me to do. <laughs> Yippee! <laughs> uh, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Matt Tebby. I'm joined by my co-laborator, co-laborator, Ben Sternke. Hey guys, I'm here. And our guest today is our friend Thomas. Hi. Thomas Horrocks. Horrocks. Yeah. Horrocks. Rhymes with the bleach. Horrocks. Horrocks. There you go. Horrocks. That's it. Clorox. Got it. Great. And we are, this- as you know, what... What you have something? You, well, just, a bleach anecdote? <laughs> well, no, not a bleach anecdote. But uh, when you said that, it uh, it made me think of Harry Potter, and I think it's because I'm thinking of a Horcrux. I, I, I've never heard that before. Okay. Horcrux. No, I hear that all the time. Actually. Do you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna be like, really? So that's that's, so that's the Harry clean... Potter's kind of a widespread phenomenon. If yeah. you haven't heard of it, that's the clean version. I usually get. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Oh, I uh, right. I just got an email this morning uh, from somebody who said like, "Hey, take me off your list. You guys are into the enneagram, and that's Satan's way of getting us to focus on ourselves." 
And I just mentioned Harry Potter on this podcast. So I think like... Yes. We're going to call all our lists. <laughs> yeah, Everybody's yeah. gone now. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Well, uh, maybe we should do an episode on the Enneagram. We are going to. Yeah. For sure. If Satan's in it, then we're all about it. <laughs> um, that's a joke, people. Uh, so we are in this series. Is this is not the first in the series. So if you haven't started the series yet, go back and listen to the first episode. But we're doing a series on Christians and power. We are Christians. Um, contrary, we use the Enneagram, but we're still Christians. And we're <laughs> really, really we, we are. <laughs> we're our organization is primarily focused on leadership, and so we are keenly interested in exploring and discovering what is distinctive and powerful about Christian power. Like, what's distinctive and helpful about Christian power, and what are all the ways that we get it wrong? And so we've introduced that a little bit biblically. We've talked about our experiences a bit, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and do that. But today, we have uh, our friend Thomas Horrox, <laughs> who is uh, also a Christian and has some... Has According some... to some. Right. That's true. On the uh, on the internets, sometimes the f- uh, th- that's questioned. Well, that's how we met. We met Thomas uh, on Twitter. Uh, but before I kind of give a really like a B-minus introduction to you, uh, why don't you tell us, Thomas, what you're about, <laughs> what you spend your time doing. Uh, tell us about your podcast, too, and uh, just give us an intro. Sure. Well, uh, super happy to be here with you guys. I love your podcast, and it's fun to connect in person. Um, so yeah, I, I'm Thomas. I Vocationally, I'm a pastor of a small church in Bloomington, Indiana, Stony Brook Church, um, sort of bivo, so I do that part-time and help watch the kids part-time while my wife works to help support the ministry and all that. Um, so i solo pastor right now, uh, so all of the things that goes along with that. Mm. Um, additionally, I, uh, like you said, I run a podcast, Synergist Podcast, spelled S-I-N-N-E-R-G-I-S-T. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, um, it's sort of a, we, we did it to sort of just poke fun at the Calvinists, which is basically, <laughs> I, I mean, it's... It's kind of more pod- unsubscribes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. Um, so we 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 come at theology from a, um, a traditionally Wesleyan Arminian standpoint. Okay. Um, we started out because we got frustrated that it seemed like Calvinists had the market on like everything, including podcasts and all that. And we're like, yeah. let's hmm. let's see if we can give a, an alternative view. Um, but we don't want to just be anti-Calvinist, so we're trying to go at theology from a from a constructive way. What what is mm. a we talk about a positive vision of Christian discipleship. It's what we we try yeah, to get. That's great. Um, yeah, and then I'm also a, a chaplain in the uh, National Guard. Um, so I, I serve that way doing um huh. you know chaplaincy in, in the military and all that. So yeah. That's Didn't uh, did, isn't there big news in the National Guard in the last couple of weeks? Isn't that the guy was stockpiling weapons in California? Was that uh, a... that was Coast Guard? Oh, uh, Coast different, Guard. right? Yeah, oh, different, I'm guard, sorry. But yeah. I'm different guard. Sorry, it's a different guard. I'm so sorry. <laughs> One of the guards, but yes, yeah, yeah. that yeah. happened. That that happened. Uh, anyway, we can maybe I I have a rant about that, but uh, I'll save it. So Thomas, um, part of your story as we talk about Christians and the relation to power, part of your story is that you grew up in a religious system that you came to see was misusing and abusing power. And yes. um, we want to share stories about this because um, a lot of us have experienced abusive leadership. In fact, there are people who reach out to me, and when they're not uh, writing a screed uh, against the Enneagram, they're <laughs> telling me how uh, I can't use the word leadership with them mm. because... Uh, it's like a it's like a clobber word. It's like a hmm. trigger word yeah. for them. Uh, but you have a really, uh, I think, important story about 
um, your just your upbringing and and how you experienced Christian leadership and Christian power. So would you share some of that with us? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up. Uh, I'm not going to name it, but in a group that uh, is widely considered a cult. Um, and Harvest it, Bible Chapel? <laughs> no. Oh. Okay. Um, More unsubscribed. <laughs> Let's see how many people we can get to unsubscribe today. Listen, we've we've talked about the Enneagram, Harvest Bible Chapel, Calvinists. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Oh, um, <clears throat> Pokemon. <laughs> yep. We haven't, t- not yet, but you just did. Okay. Anyway, so you, uh, not, okay, a cult. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's considered a cult for, for several different reasons. Um, it's considered a cult for doctrinal reasons, but we won't get into that. Um, I think a lot of the cultishness is in the, the practice, um, talking mm. to, but a lot of the practice, it's a very hierarchical structure. It's actually, so its leadership was patterned after the United States government, intentionally. Hmm. So there is a president. Mm-hmm. Uh, there mm-hmm. is a president's cabinet, and then it, it's hierarchical all the way down. So if you th- if you think of the structure of the Roman Catholic Church, right, where yep. you've got a pope on top, uh, and then it's sort of divisionally based. You've got dioceses and all that, very similar. So you've got uh, a president on top, you've got regions, and you've got branches, and all the way down. Uh, and leadership is very top-down, authoritative, what said goes. To, to give an illustration... Um, I, when I was on staff working, uh, at their headquarters, um, I was just on the landscape team, but the, the <laughs> president of the organization walked in and I didn't realize that, mm-hmm. uh, she had walked in. That's the other thing. So they are, comp- they are egalitarian in terms of they don't mind female mm-hmm. leaders. Yes. The, the president was a female at the time, but I didn't stand. And so mm-hmm. I was later like pulled aside and, and corrected because I didn't didn't rise when the leadership walked in. So that's, and and that permeates sort of every aspect of of decision-making and deference to the next level up of leadership is, it's just expected and it's Mm. taught and it's, and it's, they have verses to back it up. Yeah. Right. 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 They'll they'll pull out a verse from point to say, this is, this is why this means this. Um, And so, as I came up through that, we we were I was married at the time. We were pursuing leadership in that in that organization. We were going through the leadership training program, but I kept bumping into these things. And as, as I started reading scripture, sort of more for myself and the teachings of Jesus, I would read Jesus say things like, "The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve." Mm. And, and he said, "This is sort of how leadership should be among my followers." Yeah. And then I would look at how things were in the organization and. and when I was on staff at another place, when the when the president would come visit that that particular camp that we had where I was on staff, um, we would like everybody would change and we would mm. do things differently. Um, mm. And like we would, there was a particular car that she would use when she got there, and so we would like detail this car like to the T, knowing that she probably wouldn't even drive it, but just in case she did, right? Mm. And it was all of sort of these very same sort of things that you see in secular governmental leadership where the the leader gets served. They had, um, and they still, to this, to this, I'm probably going to give it away for people who know this, they they have what's called a head table. They, they have lunch together at their uh, headquarters location every day. Mm-hmm. And the top leadership sit at a head table mm-hmm. apart from everybody else, and they actually have a server, somebody who serves them their food, pours them their coffee, nobody else does. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Yeah. Yeah. And here are the leaders of this organization literally being served. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I start to question that. It's like, well, 
because their service is leadership, they need this time to be served to refresh. And it, it, it just started, I had this cognitive dissonance that sort mm. of led to lots of other questions that eventually led to me leaving the group, yeah. but that was the, the leadership part of it. Thomas, it's clear that you have not sufficiently spiritualized Jesus' <laughs> teachings enough to live understand why that was to live thing. in the incongruity of American Christianity. Um, yeah. No, yeah. So this is good. You mentioned something too that's interesting. Um, you know, we're t- we're not trying to point fingers. Uh, we'll probably make jokes about it because uh, I'm I tend to be irreverent in that way. <laughs> but you know, in this last year, uh, Bill Hybel stepped down from Willow Creek, yeah. mm-hmm. and one of the things that was mentioned over and over again with like shock was, okay, here's sort of the the Christian leader at the vanguard of sort of egalitarian sort of church governance, right? So right. there are women serving as pastors at Willow Creek, but here, but you know, he's been uh, purportedly accused of some misogyny right. and some other things that have happened. And people were sh- like shocked, and then, you know, some people uh, didn't, you know, trying to defend egalitarian systems. But the thing you mentioned, Thomas, is that like, uh, and I, you know, this this is maybe controversial, but uh, a, the egalitarian sort of understanding of male and female relationships doesn't undo the power structure of patriarchy. Right. It actually only makes sense if patriarchy stays in place. Right. Right? So you can have egalitarian systems like this cult, like Willow Creek, that function with toxic masculine power. Right. In, and then women just sort of participate in that. Right. Right? right. <laughs> yes. So they so they have to play by the same script, the same rules, which is what you experienced. Right. Yeah. Yep. And and to to qualify that a little bit, like I can imagine some of our listeners thinking, like, well, what is that? What is what is the difference between like what does that mean? Patriarchy, toxic masculine power. Yeah, I'm like, throwing out is, lots of right. Yeah. So what does what does all that mean? And I, he- I heard you say something. <laughs> I heard you say something, Thomas, um, uh, about like you said the structure was fair was very hierarchical. Uh, but then the way that you qualified leadership was interesting. I wonder if you could say more about this. That the structure was hierarchical, but that but basically like everything flowed from the top. Right. But what the the leadership that flowed from the top, uh, you said was like what gets done and what needs to happen. But, but basically, leadership was equated with who gets to control outcomes, who gets to say what other people do. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yes. Which is which I think it's important to tease that out. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So because because that is the dominant Christian understanding of leadership. Right. You you hold the cards. There's a pastor card. You get right. to you say get to what happens. It. You right. get to say what happens. Yeah. Uh you know, when when any time we talk about mutual submission and leadership or co-leadership and we were, you know, we were just on a call this week where this was happened, eventually people are like their imagination ends at, well then who makes decisions? So like the pinnacle of leadership is I get to make decisions that other people have to obey. Right. Right? Yes. Which is what you're describing that was happening in this organization. Oh, absolutely. And basically, so the way all decisions, basically all decisions were made at the top, and then it was just a funnel down. Um, And it was... In terms of execution. In terms of execution, absolutely, absolutely. Um, And and even at lower levels, right, there there was very little... um, We'll talk about the military structure a little bit, because I'm in that as well. Uh, The military actually does a better job Hmm. of empowering lower-level leaders than the group that I came from. Um, Because... uh, you know, it was, we make a decision and your only job is to execute. And there's, there wasn't, there was very little room for 
there was very little latitude for how to execute. Here's what yeah. you execute. How. Here's how you execute yeah. it. Here's when you execute it and report back to us that you did it in this way. Successfully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is, I think, you know, cults have this, but also just religious structures and systems that we have, have sort of very controlling mm-hmm. top down. And, and if you can be benevolently controlling, <laughs> right. if you can be super nice right. about it, right. then, then people yeah. can actually live longer underneath of it. But you came to realize that this isn't the kind of power that Jesus modeled and taught. Right. Unpack that for us a bit. So in that... Oh, sorry. Uh, kicked a cord here. <laughs> um, in that, I, so I, I'm comparing that. I'm saying, okay, Jesus came not to be served. Literally, the leaders are being served here. So there's a major di- the, the, uh, cognitive distance that I'm, that I'm facing. Um, that, along with some other stuff, led me away. I ended up leaving that organization. Um, mm. And that was... We got burned pretty bad and there's lots of stuff uh control stuff with that They're, they used to practice shunning don't so much anymore but informally they do so anyway but i still after doing that i still felt called to ministry mm-hmm. i still felt like i i was supposed to to do this and tried for a while like just working in the business world doing some insurance stuff and and, and not much with, with the church. And I still felt this burn, this call, like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm running from my calling and all that. Hmm. And so I talked with my wife about it, and she wasn't super um, into like church leadership again because that had been a very traumatic experience. But a f- friend of mine had said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing um, military chaplaincy. And I didn't know anything about that. Hmm. So we looked into it, and it was like, oh, well, you can sort of be a pastor in the army. And my wife was like, hey, you should do that. And so that was the, the, hmm. the open door at the time. Interesting. Um, and in order to be a chaplain, you have to go to seminary. Oh. You have to have a Master of Divinity. Um, so I ended up enrolling at uh, Anderson University School of Theology's Master of Divinity program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where things theologically began to really change for me. Hmm. Um, and I, I'd say there, there were two major things that, that did it for me. One was um, understanding... I'm going to use a theological term here, and I'll unpack it, uh, understanding messianic expectation, uh, which is this idea that the, the early Jews had this expectation that when the Messiah came, they were going to come on a horse with a sword, raise an army, and overthrow Rome, and to get a little political here, but to be honest, make Israel great again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they were expecting. Sign me up, Thomas. <laughs> and they had verses to prove it, right? Right. Um, read Psalm 2 and what the Son is going to do to break these bonds. And so they had mm-hmm. this vision of this politically, militarily powerful Messiah who's going to ride in and rescue Israel with power. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus shows up. Right. And it's nothing like they expected, yeah. right? He hangs out with the powerless mm-hmm. and the oppressed and women, and mm-hmm. he lifts them up, and he and he challenges the the power structure of his day, the the religious leaders and the and the political leaders. And his message, and I'm still wrestling this. His message was very political, but it wasn't political in the sense of I'm we're gonna institute this with political military power of the sword. Um, and this characterizes his entire ministry. It's mm-hmm. completely upside down mm-hmm. in terms of leadership. Yeah. And it, it's not just what he taught, but it's how he lived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm saying, okay, so this is power. We, you know, that whole Christ hymn in Philippians 2, he had power. He emptied himself mm-hmm. 
took on the form of a servant, right? All of the things he could have done, but he didn't do, and he served. And this is how he used power to, to lift other people up. And so I, I, I'm starting to grasp messianic expectation. I'm like, okay, this whole idea of how we do power. And so this starts now to translate into how I think about, you know, this, you know, as Christians trying to legislate our versions of morality from the top. Hmm. And, you know, I don't want to alienate too many of your listeners. Well, they've, they've already been alienated. <laughs> we're unsubscribed. We're doing a really good job of that today. Um, but this whole idea that, you know, and I started thinking, in nowhere in the first 300 years of the church did they try to legislate their version of morality. Mm-hmm. They went after people's hearts, and they sought change from the inside first that would lead to outside change. And this started to completely just undo my 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 ideas of power in general mm-hmm. and how power ought to be used. Mm-hmm. And then couple that with, I said there were two things, uh, when I, I had to do a paper on Amos. Um, and I had never, in my previous tradition, we had never, we didn't study the minor prophets. Or oh, the I think that's Amos Young, the <laughs> music, musician. He's, he's really good. You mean the prophet The, the prophet Amos. Okay, I'm with you. And so I, I start studying they, the prophets. They are minor prophets after all. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're just, just small, just small. <laughs> and their concerns for justice. It, I had mm. never studied this before. Yeah. We, we had we skipped the prophets. It was all about power and spiritual power and manifesting, you know, God's power in your life. I start to study the prophets, mm. and I see this concern for justice for the marginalized, for those who have been oppressed by systems, and then I see that Jesus is right in the very same tradition of the yeah. prophets, of yeah. calling the same things. And so this whole idea of justice becomes mm. prominent in in my understanding, and maybe, you know, you guys follow me on Twitter. I've, I've almost overdone it, um, and, and we can talk about why some of that is, um, yeah. why I've made some intentional decisions to always say something when I question it. Um, but it was because I had this backwards idea, and I saw that, mm. that Jesus, in the tradition of the prophets, takes yeah. power and flips it upside down. Yeah, so it's not that God's power is like ours, but more so. It's like, <laughs> right? It's a different kind yeah. of power altogether. And yeah. So Jesus comes, and he's, he's doing things that seem to indicate that there's some sort of messianic call, like, yeah. wow, this guy could be the guy. Right. But then there's other things that he's doing that that completely upend and right. disrupt the expectation. Yes. yes. And it reveals that this power comes from a different place. It's a different kind of thing than than what people had even heard of before. Right. And so they 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 either have to repent and say, "Oh my gosh, I don't know anything about anything anymore. Like I need to learn." Or they have to re- they have to reject it as that's not power. Right. You're powerless. You you don't have power. You're not doing the thing that we expect you to do and so therefore you know, get out of the way. Lead follower, get out of the way. It, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you see this, um, you know, you mentioned Philippians too, this self-emptying, canonic is the Greek word there. Yeah. This this cruciform, cross-shaped, you know, the glory of God is most fully revealed in Jesus Christ crucified, mm. which is Jesus being powerless at the hands of uh, demonic power, right. right? That's crucifying him, and somehow mm. overcoming. Yes. Somehow his victory is in his Weakness, yes, right, and the right. cross. So this really changes everything, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a complete. Uh, you mentioned upside down or overturning of the world's power structures. So you're beginning to explore this yes. in seminary, uh, and then you go work for uh, the United States military, right? Uh, <laughs> con- connect those dots for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So when 
the the military thing and the seminary thing happened at the same time. I was mm. talking to the chaplain recruiters at the same time that I was talking to um, seminary admissions. Mm. And so before that, I didn't really see like that much of a disconnect. <laughs> um, as I started studying in seminary, I I started questioning this you know sort of American marriage of militarism and Christianity. And uh, so to put it this way, if I knew then what I do now, I probably never would have joined. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but I did, and mm-hmm. I have an obligation that, that I sign a line for. And I think my position as a non-combatant doesn't, uh, there's not an inherent conflict of interest. There's just a lot of peripheral potential conflict when yeah. we talk about this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so as a chaplain, I, I, I don't execute direct orders in the sense of go take that hill, go destroy that objective. I'm not allowed to carry a weapon. Um, mm-hmm. And so that allows me to continue to serve. If I had to be Except a, for the sword of the spirit, except, am I right? That's right. I got my Bible in my pocket. Um, literally, I walk around with a Bible in my pocket. Um, <laughs> so because of that, I, I, and and I don't want to get into all of that right now, maybe later, um, there's this idea of, of moral injury where the very act of killing somebody wounds yes. our soul. Right. And there's there's some pretty good research out there indicating that chaplains are in a unique position to help people overcome that. Yeah, um, mm. which which is pretty cool. There's some neat research on there out there that that just war theory doesn't work. Oh mm. yes, um, would, shocker. Would, yeah, but there there are, there are listeners who are in the military yeah. or uh, maybe maybe you serve on a police force. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who's in the military police, uh, and there's some people who, uh, who listen who are proponents of just war theory. So. Um, what you're like, what you're describing is the inherent tensions within inhabiting a inhabiting systems in larger structures of thought yeah. that don't find their uh, maybe logical architecture in Jesus. Correct. Right. They Correct. function on a different way of what does it mean to be victorious. Right. 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 Exactly. Right? So so that looks different in Vietnam. Right. Then it looks on Calvary. Right, right. <laughs> and and there's sort of this tension there that, I want to tread carefully, maybe can't be resolved. Mm. Um, you know, and so it, through the process of seminary and coming out of it, as I did more reading, um, I came from being, you know, sort of a just war theorist to being more of a, a, an outright pacifist. Um in the sense of, I don't know if there's such a thing as just war, and even if there is, I don't think Christians can logically support it. You can have somebody on to, you know, correct me later for your other listeners. Um, but but as I studied this, for the first 300 yeah. years of the church, before the church got in bed with empire, mm-hmm. um, this was basically the universal among the the church fathers who talked about it. Mm-hmm. Nonviolence was the universal teaching of the church, and for different reasons. One, because you can't love somebody and kill them at the same time; those seem mm-hmm. to be mutually incompatible. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do some experimentation <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure that hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you get into some really interesting philosophical ways to get around that with Thomas Aquinas, right? The you know the the 
law of double effect and intention, right? My intention is not to kill you. My intention is for something else. You dying is just the unintended. I don't want to sound too cynical about this. I've spent a lot of time trying to process this. But, but, yeah. to- but Thomas, <laughs> this, this conversation always comes back to two things. Always, there's always two things. Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> no? no, not that okay, conversation. Right. Uh, always comes back to what would you do if somebody broke into your house and wanted to kill your family? Or... Well, you would kill Hitler if you had a chance, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's always those two things. It is. Always. It is. So I, I'm going to recommend a resource with a caveat. John Howard Yoder has a book called What Would You Do? Hmm. And it unpacks the, the the problem behind that question really, really well, philosophically. And it, it has a lot of examples from other people who reacted in nonviolent ways hmm. and in doing so psychologically disarm their attackers and and it was effective i'm going to caveat that because john howard yoder was a monster <laughs> he was yes um, and, and so it's i have a lot yeah. of trouble rec- I, I wish there was another book that did the same thing and maybe somebody needs to write that if there is just uh, send us an email yeah um please do yeah let me know about it so i can recommend somebody else so he's a terrible guy but the book itself really unpacks that question really well and, and the flaws behind what would you do it, but the question is do we trust do we trust the spirit that indwells us to help us respond in a creative way? Well, it's one of the things we find is that our for for a faith that uh, that has staked everything in our ability to to participate and extend the love of God in Jesus Christ. So, for a faith that sees power as defined by love, not love defined by power, right? So as a faith like that, our imagination for what love can do is anemic. Yes. We trust pistols. Right. Right? And possessions more than we trust the power of God, which is love. Right. And so we don't have an imagination for how to love somebody who breaks into my house and wants to kill my right. family. Right. Right. And it's not that it's not that um it's not that we know what we know what love would do and we reject it. It's that our imagination ends. It's like those old maps that said like <laughs> there be dragons. Yeah. yeah. We just write there be dragons. Right. And and just assume the yeah. only thing to use is worldly power now. Like yeah. love is fine if you're if you're teaching <laughs> if you Sunday like school. Each other. <laughs> if you're t- if you if you've got an aunt who's alone on Christmas. You know, if you're teaching a kid's Sunday school class. But if somebody breaks into your house, you're gonna need something other than love. Right. To to actually right. do yeah. something. Right, right. Yeah. So a friend of mine helped me think about this in an imaginative way that really helped me. He said, I would hope that if somebody broke into my house to attack me, I would treat them in the same way that I would treat my drunk brother who broke in the house to hmm. attack my family. Hmm. Because I love my drunk brother. I'm going to try to stop him from hurting my family, but I don't want to kill him because he's my brother. And so I'm going to do everything possible to to intervene, right? And that's where people say, you're just going to sit there while people rape your wife and kids (laughs) and kill them. Well, no, I'm not just going to sit there. But can I imagine a way to psychologically, to to love the person breaking in just like I love my family and, and intervene in a way where everybody wins. Yes. Right. So this is Paul saying we no longer regard people from an old perspective. Right. But uh, but but every but if anyone's in Christ, behold, there's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so we regard people not based upon you're a threat that has to be stopped. We regard people as you are this beloved icon of God for whom Christ died, and the only th- your only hope is new creation love. 
your only hope for redemption is new right. creation love. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which we we have some architecture, what you're saying is some architecture for my brother, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But we don't have any architecture for the stranger. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, because we don't because we don't see them in the same way. Right. And I, I think I think it's interesting that we jump to those things, you know, Hitler and somebody breaking into my house. Because uh, we jump to those extremes because that's where our imagination ends, right? That's where the only thing we can think of is either like opening the door and saying, have at it, <laughs> or uh, killing them, right? right? That's the right. only two things we've got in our heads. Um, or even with the Hitler example, the only thing we can imagine is the Holocaust or killing Hitler. Right. Right? It's right. like, there's a whole childhood there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that yeah. a lot of impact. And, right. So, um, but I think have you guys, have you read The War of Art? Uh, yeah. Have you read The War of Art? I have it. Stephen, Stephen Preston? Preston? Uh-uh. It's an am- Pressfield. Pressfield. Yeah. It's an amazing book. And in that book, he talks about how Hitler was an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he got, um, I, I think that he either was in art school and got kicked out or did not get into art school. Mm. And, he, and Stephen Pressfield has this paragraph about Hitler. And it basically says, Hitler was a tormented and tortured artist. Huh. And he couldn't face his own internal insecurity and resistance as an artist. And he's got this sentence that says, it was easier for him to kill six million Jews than it was to face his own junk. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Oof. Anyway, the war of art, which is a yeah. playoff of the art of war. Yeah. Right. But it's how uh, art confronts you with yourself. Right. And yeah. you and it's one of the most terrifying things in the world. Yeah. Right. And he and he and he actually talks it's about really Hitler as an artist. Yeah. yeah. It's a brilliant book. Um so yeah, so like it's I find it fascinating that um, our imagination goes to those places that number one, it's impossible. Nobody's right. nobody's going back in time. Uh, number two, hardly ever happens to anybody. And I think it lets us off the hook for our boss who's being a bit of a jerk, right? Like uh, the actual enemies, the actual people that in our lives that we have that where we are confronted with, well, what do I do here with this person that's annoying me, with this person that is against me, with this person that's bothering me? Uh, it lets us off the hook for love in that situation because we we say like, well... If love doesn't work out here in these extreme situations, yeah, how right. quickly we go from Hitler yeah. to my neighbor who's an idiot, right? You know what I mean? yeah. Right, and, and then like it's easy to justify. It's easy, yeah. We have this. It's like a Grand Canyon, right? Like mm-hmm. gap. Right. You know, there's all kinds of degrees in between. Yeah, but our bodies and our imaginations are so accustomed to and pliable towards violence, right? Mm-hmm. And and a worldly power that we need just the scantest, scantest. Yeah. I think that's a word. It is now. Yeah. <laughs> the scantest synergist is a word. That's right. Scantest that's right. can be. Yeah. We just need the we just need like the paper thinnest of justifications and rationales right. for why violence is justified mm-hmm. and why worldly power is better than kingdom power. Right. Yeah. And it has to do with this almost idolatry of effectiveness. Right? Mm. Yeah, like the modern idolatry of being effective. Exactly. Because and and here's the thing that 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 pacifists will talk about. Pacifism isn't inherently about effectiveness. It's Mm. about faithfulness. Mm. Now, pacifism can be very effective, and there's lots of examples where nonviolent resistance has been very, very effective. But at its core, we're not pacifists because we think it's effective. Mm. We're pacifists because we believe it's being faithful. It's the right thing to do. And the cross didn't look like success. It didn't look effective. Only in hindsight... Do we look back and say, okay, defeat happened there. That was effective. Mm. In the moment, a lot of times, self-sacrificial, self-giving yeah. love doesn't yeah. look 
effective by our worldly standards of effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, I mean, I'm reminded of a Dallas Willard quote, which he, I mean, he said, you know, you leave outcomes to God, which I think that's some of the humility you're talking about there, where I think our idolatry of effectiveness says, uh, for, for me to take an action, um, I have to be able to map my action directly to the desired result. Right. Um, and if I can't do that, I shouldn't do this action. Right. right. Whereas like what Jesus did on the cross was to leave the outcome to God, right? Right. There, there was some evidence that he was like, I like, I don't know, I don't know how this ends. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if there's I any mean, other he, way, he did say he was going to be raised on the third day. But I can imagine, as from a human standpoint, yeah. you know, you're, you know, you're praying in the garden, you're thinking like, is this what, is this really what we're going to do now? You know, like, the, the, there's, there's got to be some other way to do. There's got to right? be some other way to do this. You know, um, and so, so there's, there's essentially like the, the, the necessity. And here's what I hear you saying with, with faithfulness. The necessity is that I. I leave outcomes to God. I right. trust that as I act faithfully here, that the kingdom will come in some way that I can't predict or necessarily map directly to my actions. Right. I'm trusting God right. that this is how to, like, this is how to, that love actually is the most powerful thing I could do in this situation for this person. Right. right. Yeah. Okay, so then, Thomas, wrap this up for us. How does this, these convictions, your experience in this cult, your uneasy relationship with uh, being a National Guard chaplain. Um, uneasy might be the wrong word. Uh, complicated. Complicated. It's complicated. It's, yeah, it if is. You, if you in the National Guard had a Facebook page, your relationship status would say... It's complicated. Yes. Yeah. What, what difference does that experience and these convictions make in your everyday leadership as a pastor, as, you know, a, a dad, as, yeah. as a chaplain? Right, right. <sighs> It's it's so complicated in all of those things, um, because on 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 one hand, I feel a, a call and impetus to challenge the existing power structures, and that does not come without conflict, <laughs> um, you know. And the church that I serve, you know, there are. Th- I, you know, even for me and still working this out, trying to describe and define what an effective church is, right? Mm, In terms of reaching people and growth, which I think is important and things that get in the way of that. Um, And so there's been some, some complex stuff there that I have not yet been able to figure out how, how all of this integrates. Hmm. Um, As a parent, I, I, that's a little bit more clear for me. Um, We made a decision pretty early on, um, that we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna spank. We were gonna do all of that, and so learning how to parent differently than than we were parented. And, and my, you know, my parents loved us, but there was that was the that was the culture, right? You mm-hmm. you spank and corporal punishment, and you know, and you don't tolerate disrespect, and um, you know, so figuring out how to parent in a way that is empowering, still setting boundaries without just saying because I said so, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so reading, I just finished a great book, No Drama Discipline, by the way. Uh, yeah, people are looking for I've got that book. Parenting. Um, but but it, it talks about that. How do, how, do you, how do you connect with your children? Yeah. How do you connect and then teach? Connect and teach. Connect and redirect is the words that they use. Connect and redirect. Instead of just coerce behavior. Yes. Um, and the, uh, it, it'd be a whole other podcast. Yeah, it's, but poli- what you're saying politics, is like, but, um, oftentimes our convictions lag behind our ability to embody and inhabit yes, them. Yes, yes. Right? Right. And I'm pr- 
a total proof of that. <laughs> yeah. No, I think this is I think this is part of why we do this podcast yeah. and why we asked you not just to talk about the idea of leadership, but to tell your story. Yeah. One of the things that we discover is we find our stories in other people, and uh, because as humans for um, millennia we have sh- we have told stories, shared stories, listened to stories, and and reproduce stories in order to know who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. That when we hear other people's stories, we it does something to us. It builds our imagination for how to live. It right. creates possibilities and opportunities where there weren't before. Right. right? It mm-hmm. stimulates the imagination. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, I just want you to know, Thomas, it's been really uh, appreciative and blessed by you being here, telling your story. But also our listeners are right with you, like I'm right with you, like okay, if if I'm not going to essentially be the president of my family, right, or my church, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but I I don't just want to say whatever goes, do whatever you feel like, right? right? Yes. Uh, but, but like those are the two ditches, right. and then and then the the quote middle feels like a complete mystery, right? Yeah. And so, but you sharing your story and us talking about this creates, I think, some of the trellis on which a new life can hang. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've I've really appreciated. Uh, I guess the way that you talk about the the tensions that you're, you're that you're living in, I feel like it gives us all permission to be like, oh, it's okay that I don't have this all sorted out. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's okay <laughs> that I'm still working this out. Right. You know, I don't know what I think about. You know, just war theory. Or I don't know what I think about. You know, all all of the things that we talked about. The right? Enneagram. The Enneagram. <laughs> Harry Potter, even. Like, I don't know what I think about that, but I, I like, I mean, part of what we want to do on this podcast is, you know, take a couple risks. You know, we're not speaking as experts who are going to tell you the right way to do things, sure. you know, that sure. you should do this or that. We're trying to uncover and explore, um, you know, how do we live in these tensions? You know, it was, a lot of our podcasts are just working out our thinking as right. we talk. Yeah. Right, right. With with guests like you. So yeah. anyway, thanks for participating. Well, thanks for having this. me. It's been a been a pleasure. Yeah. You've been listening to Gravity Leadership <laughs> Podcast. That's another episode. Please see our sponsors. <laughs> what are our sponsors? Nest our sponsor no, it's just Gravity Leadership Academy. Do it's we, the stuff it's we the, sponsor it's our own we podcast. We do. Yeah. That's weird. We're taking time we're, out of our coaching to do the podcast. So big time. Therefore, we're sponsoring our own podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening, friends. If you have stories, um, questions even that come out of Thomas's story or other things you want to contribute to this series, please give us an email podcast at gravityleadership.com. And I know every podcast you listen to asks for this from you, but mm-hmm. rate and review us. Better yet. Oh, even better? I've, yeah. Give I us heard, all your money. I heard. <laughs> they all, some, well, that's podcasts, better, that's some podcasts say that well, too. I suppose, yeah. I mean, if, you're, if, you, if you are so inclined, permission granted. But uh, uh, I, heard, I heard Seth Godin say it's a little bit of a myth that rating and reviewing is as important as oh, they say it is. He would know. He's he would smart. know. He's smart. He's one of the smartest guys on the planet, in my opinion. But uh, he said, better yet, tell a friend about the podcast. Mm. Share it with somebody. Tell them why you listen. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah. It'd so, be great. Tell, yeah. yeah, tell a friend, and uh, we'll see you next week, friends. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. 
You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.